Hello there, and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Roar here at Bunkerzilla UK, your place for all the latest movie news and reviews, where this series of episodes are currently looking at all the great movies available on the digital platforms. I'm your host, Ian Bolton, and I am joined, as always, by my cinematic partner in crime. It's Christian R. Allen. Hello, Christian. Hello, Ian. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. How are you doing? I'm very good. Uh, it may surprise you to learn that I am still inside my flat same here. It's like nothing has happened over the last couple of episodes. Time is an illusion. It's like we've never been outside. So, I mean, I am. I, I mean, I was pretty pale before this. I mean, you could call me white. I'd say translucent is probably a better, accurate, more accurate description of my skin tone. Well, if you had some glitter, you could be a twilight vampire. Really? Yeah. Is, is that is that a direction I should go down? Yes. I've just discovered my um, one of my nieces, who is six, has just watched Twilight for the first time, and she's fallen in love with it. And I, I, that pains me. That pains me, because she was cool. She was watching things like Nightmare Before Christmas. Not this bloody Twilight malarkey. <laughs> well, everyone has to go through the Twilight phase. Basically, I watched the Twilight films, and I regretted my time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, 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 will, I will be. I'll play devil's advocate. From what I have seen, because I've seen bits of Bob's the franchise, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the first Twilight movie. Yeah, it's a bit awkward, and I think what's, what's the catchword? Problematic in some yeah. respects. But I think overall, it's an interesting film. The sequels. I, I watched a bit of. Um, uh, we were talking about um, Michael Sheen mm. la- last week. Um, oh yes, he's in it, isn't he? As the he, head vampire, he is awful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he's just being told to be terrible and, and as camp as humanly possible. And I hope, I hope it bankrolled a nice mansion for the man. But it's, it's the only time I've ever watched him in a performance and go, nope. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, because the first Twilight film wasn't that bad. I actually, I actually like the soundtracks to the Twilight films because it's like, oh, these are cool songs. Um because we've done a, I've done a show of of OST time on Bunkerzilla, which is about soundtracks, and one of the episodes I've done is novel adaptations. So I've gone through songs like "Decode" by Paramore, uh, "Meet Me on the Equinox," uh, "Eclipse," uh, "A Thousand Years." "A Thousand Years from Breaking Dawn" has become like the like the go to wedding song. <laughs> that would make of, sense. Of, I mean, these, of, these, these these songs were hand picked by Stephanie Meyer, weren't they? I'm not sure, actually. I know know Muse was involved in the Twilight movies as well because she's a huge fan of them. Yeah, Muse did a song for the third one, uh, Neutron Star Collision. Yeah, I I was a big fan of Muse as a teenager. The older I get, the less interested in in them I've become. And and listening to that song was what kind of broke it for me. I was like, "Mm." hmm. But yeah, I remember when Twilight came out, the first one, I actually didn't mind the first one, and then it was like every 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 year or something like that until like I think the last two they called doing There's a Twilight movie every year, well, so there were new, if yeah, New Moon was New Moon was just dull. Eclipse was all right, and then Breaking Dawn was like the weirdest, the weirdest soap opera I think I've ever watched. Yeah, it's it's also apparently an analogy for like pro-choice. Uh, no, sorry, not pro-choice, pro-life um, politics with the whole sort of. Uh, Oh yeah, vampire baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Interesting. Um, that's, that's all I really, really want to say but, on that but, area. But um, but any, the thing that really yeah. frustrated me about the Twilight series, like ten years ago, was that it felt very much like um, an artificial attempt at creating the so-called new Harry Potter. Cause, yes, because Harry Potter was very organic. It it kind mm. of um, 
especially with the books, sort of came out of nowhere um, mm. and took and took people by surprise. Um, but it was, it was mainly of, the children who picked it up <laughs> and made it. It was part of the because um, it was during that time where basically after Potter and all the rings became big, big money box office earners. Yeah, everyone, every studio was picking up the rights for books left, right, and centre. So you had you had the Divergent series, which again was kind of rushed out. You had things like Maze Runner. You had things like um, I think Narnia was uh, was post. Post yes. those first couple of films, but then Narnia kind of started and, and started and stopped. It's like two films were at Disney, then one film went to Fox, uh, all under the same house now, so yeah. no, uh, no harm there. Um, yeah, it's just like you just there were just loads of adult, uh, young adult fiction books just picking, just picked up at random just to do films. I think the last, I think the last book series that actually was able to kind of get to the get to the end, I think, was Hunger Games. Because yeah, a lot of the because yeah. a lot of these films they didn't make their money back first time around, so it's like they it's like I think they're Cirque to Vampire, which was like a fantasy thing about uh, and like a kid learning to be a vampire in a circus of oddities with John C. Riley. That was supposed to have more films, didn't happen, and it's like all these films has kind of put a lot of sequel bait in, and then went oh, and it's it's really <laughs> frustrating because you <laughs> you don't feel yeah. like you're getting a complete film. No, it's, not at all. It's, it's one of the golden cut. Golden Compass is the worst example of that. Yeah, well, Golden Compass is frustrating. I'm actually I'm rereading Northern Lights at the moment, the book it's based yeah. on, and the book yeah. is incredible. Uh, mm. it's, it's, it's it's so much better than its contemporary works. Like I'm, I'm, I I love the Harry Potter books, but mm. Philip Pullman is 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 miles beyond J.K. Rowling in, in terms of his ability to write for children. Mm. He, he, he's very interesting. He's able to write on a child's level that isn't condescending at all. Mm. And is really still as an adult very engaging, and the story is incredible. But I, I think we've said this before. I'm ve- I got very frustrated with the television series that recently. You mentioned came out. this on Trivial Titans, yeah, yeah. yeah um, basically, so the Golden Compass. The problem with the film is basically all the um, religious elements of the story, which are really, really removing religion from Golden Compass is like removing crime from the Godfather movies. That's Ooh. that's that's how much of an impact it has on the story. It's meaningless without it. It just becomes oh look, there's a polar bear in armor. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> voiced by Ian McKellen. Yeah. Hello, I'm a polar bear. Oh yeah, well, th- this is my thing. <laughs> so what the Golden Compass got wrong, um, it got right in terms of its casting, and especially Daniel Craig as Lord Asriel is. Is phenomenal casting because in the books, um, Lord Ezreal, who's more of an he's kind of more of an anti-hero figure. Mm. He is a stoic bastard. Is the who's absolutely um, devoid of um, any real. Mm. He's 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 a character. He's capable of compassion, but he's very cold. Mm. Um, and Daniel Craig plays him quite you know with the right level of coolness and distance that the character needs. In the TV series, they've got the religious elements, right? They, so the, the story is more faithful, but the mm. casting is pretty bad. Um, James McAvoy plays Lord Asriel in the TV series, and he's so emotional, so manic, so hot. Um, it feels like the worst of... And, and, and before anyone gets angry with me, I love David Tennant, and I love Doctor Who. He plays Lord Ezreal like a really bad David Tennant episode of Doctor Who. That that sort of annoying manic energy. 
Um, he's sort of screaming at one point. And I'm just I'm I'm watching this thinking this isn't this character and it doesn't work. Mm. Um, also, the, the 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 art the art direction for the Golden Compass is so much better. It looks like the books. The mm. new TV series is too clean. It doesn't mm. it doesn't feel like a um, steampunk gaslit you know Victorian hellscape that is the image that sort of is created in the in the in the novels, especially when they're in London and um, and towards the later half of the book. Um, so what I, I don't, I've got a bit of a tangent here, but what my recommendation is: ignore all adaptations <laughs> of his dark materials and just read the books. They're much, much better. There you go. I'm an outlier. Lots of people seem to have really enjoyed the HBO BBC series. So mm. you know, if you're a fan, give it a go. Obviously, but I, I, me and my partner, who's also she's a huge fan of those books, she she rage quit after the episode two. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, I guess, I guess if it if it brings more people to reading Philip Pullman's works. Oh yeah, then, then all power to it. So. Oh no, absolutely. I, I'm, I've never, <laughs> I've never understood this whole. I, I don't like something, so you shouldn't be able to. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm hugely critical of the um, latest batch of Star Wars movies, but you know, if there's a random five year old kid who prefers Last Jedi to um, Empire Strikes Back, you know, more power to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, that's our that op- opening ramble done. Opening ramble all complete. So yes, <laughs> we, so, yes we've actually got that written on our schedule. Opening, opening ramble. ramble, opening ramble, where we just have a film-related discussion of what's been going on recently. Um, but actually, for the first time in a couple of episodes, we actually have news. Yes. Hey. Uh, if it was only happy news. <laughs> well, well. Let's so. Let's let's uh let's revisit a couple of episodes back. We did a special episode where we talked about COVID nineteen shutting down cinema, and we talked about studios like Universal doing digital releases, and they did their they have done their digital releases for things like Trolls World Tour, and uh, it's actually performed above expectations. So basically, um, since release on digital platforms over about three four weeks, the film has uh, reported to have generated sales of nearly a hundred million dollars, and this is in the this wow. is in the rental side of things. This isn't to own. This is the rental side. So you're paying like fifteen pounds, twenty dollars, or something like that, to rent it for forty-eight hours. Um, so it came out start of April, and they did it because because Trolls has done very very well in this sort of form. Um, one uh, <clears throat> uh, Jeff Shell, the president and chief executive of NBC Universal, uh, the parent company of Universal Studios, um, told the Wall Street Journal that the film had exceeded their expectations and demonstrated the the viability of streaming. And as soon as theatres reopen, Universal expect to release movies on both formats. This is a problem for the cinemas. uh, Because obviously the cinemas and Hollywood studios have this sort of um, bespoke agreement of uh, windows of of, uh, showing. So basically... Mm. A film would not appear on other formats for like three, four months after being released at the cinema, for example. Um, this idea from Universal takes that out completely. It renders the, the use of a cinema completely null and void. So, uh, understandably, some cinema chains are a little bit pissed off. Um, <laughs> so, uh, at first was AMC Cinemas, so their cinema chain in America. Um, they retaliated by saying, well, we're not going to show any more Universal films, period, yep. when when the cinemas reopen. 
Um, and over the last week or so, it's kind of expanded out to things uh, to other chains like Odin and Cineworld in the UK. They have both gone on record to say, when cinemas reopen, we have no plans to show Universal films that will go straight to streaming. So or, it's or, not it's not a blanket ban on Universal not necessarily products. Not it's, necessarily. It's just sorry, can you repeat that? The so, went. Yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, so basically. Um, the tact the cinemas are going at at the moment, to my understanding, looking at all the news pieces here, uh, basically, if Universal release a film that is at cinemas and online at the same time, the cinemas will categorically not show that film. Interesting. I mean, I'm... I'm... I... <laughs> Do you know how expensive it is to take a family to see one film? Yeah. You know? We talked about this in the episode. It's about it's about if you include a family ticket, depending on where you're going to, and the food it, and the transport and, and the parking, and the parking, like some some a one film trip with a group of children can cost about a hundred quid in this day and age. Yeah, it's like it's 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 extortionate. It's it's a form of cultural extortion, and I have no sympathy towards the state of cinemas at the moment. I love cinema. I love film, but to be honest. Why? Why should they have a stranglehold on on access to content like this when most modern homes have a really decent television set up? You yeah, know, it's so much more affordable for a family to pop down to your local co-op and grab your popcorn and various sweets and whatnot. Yeah, um, it's it's a better. I, I'm increasingly fine. I'm not just a, because of COVID nineteen, obviously, but I've increasingly found over the last year or so that um, my passion for film. Is being um, was being quite uh, diminished by going to the cinema because of the expense, because of the the um, the, the rudeness of other attendees, the fact that yeah. I, you know, I'll watch I'll watch a film that I've spent about fifteen pounds on, and the screen will be dirty. Yeah, and like if, oh great, we flash to white, I could see all the dirt. That's fantastic. Yeah, we've 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 gone over this in the uh, in the COVID nineteen special where we we kind of said well. If if cinemas or if cinema companies actually took a bit more care of their actual cinemas and the actual cinematic experience and yep. actually actually work towards creating the environment which these films should be presented in, which we are expected to enjoy these films in, like the filmmakers want us to, yep. then we would probably be a bit more. We'd probably be leaning a bit more on the cinema side on this. But the problem is, I, part of me thinks both of them are a bit in the wrong here because because universal have just gone oh we've made 100 million dollars let's change everything it's like no <laughs> yeah they made 100 million dollars on one film film one film which is already which popular is, with children yes and this is and i think it's not going to be the same story with every film no um because even if because universal's uh, slate of films for next year fast and furious 9 the next jurassic world no time to die is on that slate as well I would be quite annoyed. I, I don't want to watch No Time to Die on a small screen. I want to see No Time to Die on a big screen, hmm. and and I can I can see the I can see the plan work for smaller indie independent films that might not necessarily get the attention they do at the cinemas. But then again, that's the cinema's fault for throwing all their weight behind the big tentpole movies. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, and it's um, I I think. Yeah, I mean, this this was always coming. I'm surprised it's taken so long. I mean, it's taking mm. a global pandemic for this to really happen because yeah. Steven Stoberg was um, was um, ex- um, experimenting with um, multimedia releases like 15 years ago. 
Um, I, I I remember there being a bit of controversy. I think it was called Bubble. It was really it was a really 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 culty indie sort of like flick that he directed and he released it on DVD and cinema at the same time. Yeah, but no one watched it on any format. So I mean, um, yeah, that was on about fifteen years ago so yeah, yeah we've been waiting for this for quite a while I, I it does feel i agree it's 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 rather short-sighted to um ch- change the world over one film yeah i mean it would be I, interesting to see where yeah I, I i think i think this i think streaming and rentals are the future for smaller films i i mm. also agree although i have my criticisms of cinema I, the idea of not seeing Avengers Endgame in my local mm. IMAX theatre would have crushed me. Like yeah. that was that was an event film. It's same with same with Bond coming up this year. Yeah, um, I'm desperate to go and see that. We were we were we, we day... almost bought tickets to see that in the IMAX screening, didn't we? And, yeah, and then, and then the day the day the film got delayed. Yeah, first time. <laughs> and that's when I realised, uh, oh, maybe something's going going awry in the world right now. Yeah, um, but yeah, I. <laughs> It just seems it just seems very silly on Universal's part to kind of go. We're going to change the whole system because of trolls. But also, and it's, that... it's it's. I think it's incredibly immature of these various cinema chains to react the way they are. They're acting like a racket. Yeah, um, and it it just shows to me the un the unhealthy imbalance um, that cinemas seem to have in terms of distribution yeah. and the way that the consumers seem to be paying the price. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think in all honesty, I think both parties need to wait until the pandemic has died down. Yeah, cinemas reopen, and then Universal try again with a different film, which will give them a bit of a gauge just by going off the the back of trolls, just to say, oh, people want to watch stuff online. It's like, well, fair enough. Okay, I can understand from the family point of view why that will be a great great incentive. But I think it's going to be different on a film-by-film basis. Mm. Absolutely. And also, some filmmakers and studios will probably not even dare release their stuff on streaming. So it's like, if you turned around and asked Christopher Nolan to release Tenet <laughs> on digital streaming, what do you think Christopher Nolan's going to do? He'd probably take one of those IMAX cameras and throw it in your face. I mean, that, that's much. a fatal move right there. That is an absolute fatal move. It's like when you're kind of saying, no, no, you can't have, you can't have 70 mil films. It's like, I'm sorry, this is my film. My choice, my decision. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I mean, surprise, surprise. A lot of filmmakers love film and love cinema, and mm. it's been it's been interesting to see some. I don't know, backlash is the right word, but hesitance for sort of um, moving into sort of digital streaming platforms. I mean, Steven Spielberg yeah. was quite critical when um, Roma yeah. was uh, nominated. Um, yeah, and the, in fact, other news is the Academy have announced that you know um, distribution rules that have changed for their nomination processes. So now films for, for this don't year, have yeah. to have been exhibited at cinemas. What is it for? A minimum of a week? Yeah, it's about there has to be uh, at cinemas for a week in Los Angeles. That's why you qualify. randomly had Roma and The Irishman? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Netflix, I think, went out and actually brought cinema. Did they? So yeah, I think they did. And <laughs> That's a good way. I have to. But yeah, they brought cinema, I think, in LA to show their films. I was like, fair enough, done. Um, but yeah, I think that, yeah, for Oscars next year, so basically if a film was released during the cinema lockdown digitally, it is also it is already 
uh, eligible for the award. So um, <laughs> I, th- I saw that I saw the story being shared on Facebook, and I think people were doing like they're trying to make sure Sonic the Hedgehog doesn't win Best Picture <laughs> because it's like the it's like the biggest it's like one of the biggest hits of the year already with three hundred million. <laughs> I mean, conspiracy. I, I will say this. Sonic the Hedgehog is the best film I've seen that's been released within this Academy Awards cycle. <laughs> oh, oh. But yes, that's, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the that's the cinema war of words between cinemas and Hollywood at the moment. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll let you know what's going on. If you have your thoughts, as always, uh, do email them to us at contact at bunkzilla.co.uk. I believe in the news front, you also have a piece of news, Christian. Yeah, I won't, get too, won't have too much of a deep dive on this. It's just really interesting yeah. to observe and see how this pans out going forward. But um, Republican Senator Ted Cruz who um, um, I'm not a huge fan of. His, his politics don't really match with mine at all. But he, he's pushing through legislation um, in the States, which will basically prohibit the Pentagon from assisting any Hollywood production with their um, sort, of, um, sort of military advice and expertise. Mm. If that film um, conforms to any... F- um, uh, censorship as demanded by the Chinese state. Uh, this is really interesting because obviously China has been a huge player in Hollywood for the last 10 years now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's gotten to the point where there are alternative versions of your favourite films. Um, oh, yeah. One that pops to, off to my head, if you ever wonder why there's a random scene at the end of Iron Man 3 where um, uh, Tony Stark is having his shrapnel removed by Chinese doctors... Um, it's a, in, in, it's because there is a whole extra subplot where <laughs> that that's fleshed out for about ten, well, I think an extra five to ten minutes, mm. and it's not even included in any of in the international cuts. So I, I remember watching the film. Oh, they're in China. There's Chinese lettering. That's oh, that's strange. Oh, we're back to the normal film. And the reason it felt so disjointed and out of place is because there was no context for it. Most of it had been removed. Mm. Um, and so this, Hollywood has been desperately trying to get the Chinese dollar oh, for years now. I mean, the Mulan, the, the 90s Disney animation, was designed yeah. solely for the purpose of breaking the Chinese market. Um, mm. I believe it bombed in China. I think so. I think the, the live-action version was on course to be quite favourable in China. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Before, the, it, got, before it got delayed. Yes. <laughs> um and so it, it's it's become an issue with various things. So LGBT plus st- elements of any storyline are completely cut and removed. Anything that's deemed problematic as far as the Chinese Communist Party decree. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I, I, I'm quite critical of, um, of the human rights abuses coming from China. And none of these... You'll never hear a bad word about these atrocities from Hollywood right now. Um, mm. So, which is, which to me is revealing a, a, a frustrating hypocrisy from what is uh, traditionally quite a left-leaning um, uh, society. Mm. Um, you'll, you'll see, you'll watch the Oscars and you'll see all these great campaigns and these uh, you, these these um, very so-called progressive messages, and then they'll be completely quiet on their paymasters abuses. Of uh, mm. <laughs> and many many documented atrocities. So I've 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 found China's influence on mainstream cinema very frustrating. Mm. Um, so this could this could be the end of it. 
It's really good, and this yeah. is, it, it feels like this is part of an ongoing, almost cold war between the US and China at the moment. And um, yeah, if you don't think film will have a role to play in any form of <laughs> any form of ideological battle, you need to rewatch most of Hollywood's output from the nineteen fifties onwards. Yeah, uh, yeah, because Walt Disney did a um, did a collection of uh, I think World War Two shorts, like uh, educational infomercials, like oh, uh, yeah. cultural tales, and they released it in America in a in a beautiful tin. I used to own it. Um, it was uh, on the front lines. So you had things like uh, Donald Duck, sort of living, find out what it would be like to live in Nazi Germany or something like that. Um, so yeah, there is there is a lot of power there. Mm, absolutely. If when tailored, I, 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 yeah, I'd forgotten about the Disney in the Second World War. I was mainly thinking mm. of more like the, the way the the Red Scare of the, the Soviet Union was um, had a oh, huge yeah, influence. Yeah. Like you only have to watch like um fifties B movie like the Blob or <laughs> the mm. Day the Earth Stood Still and things like this. Uh, not the Day the Earth Stood Still. Sorry, um, 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 the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. It's 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 all it's all subtext for the fear of communism. <laughs> I mean, it was it was always like a background a background theme in pretty much any spy film of that of that generation as well. Yeah. So it was always a constant thing in the background of Bond, like from Russia with Love. I, I've, there I've, you I've, go. I've, I'm half <laughs> watching that at the moment. Rewatching that for the it's first a good time. Bond film. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's good. good. Um, it's it's quite like a standard spy thriller rather than just. I'm going to take over the world. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting because since the fall of the uh, Soviet Union, Hollywood's been clamouring for an enemy. And mm. it's been, there. I mean, obviously the obvious example would be through, um, um, you, you see a rise of um, the portrayal of um, uh, militant jihadis. Mm. Um, anything from, phew, the, the one film that springs to mind is True Lies. And like on oh, yeah. um there was a remake of Red Dawn, which came out recently. The oh yes, ah, with Chris Hemsworth. Yes. So the original version, it's the uh, the film is basically what had happened if the Soviet Union did invade the United States of America, and I believe it's it's it's, it's not it's not held in high regards, and it hasn't really, really. No, it went straight. It went straight to I think DVD because I think it originally was supposed to be at cinemas, but because of the whole kerfuffle about... Oh, sorry, I'm talking about the original. Um, oh. So the original... oh, no, sorry, not the original. Oh, I was talking about the remake. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say, but the remake is obviously now there's no Soviet Union. Who do we use? And the film was originally China. So the China invades the United States and turns it into a communist um, colonial um, um, territory. They digitally altered the film before its release to remove all Chinese iconography to north korean yes i was about to i was about to uh, interject and say i've just had a quick look at the synopsis and it says north korea paratroopers yes and that's because they realized oh wait a minute <laughs> who's the biggest market outside the united states china though <laughs> <laughs> i remember when i heard about when when i first heard about the fit of the remake of are you serious <laughs> is that you <laughs> It's like, do you want to create a war? <laughs> it's just, it's just that, that 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 studio would be black, you know, blacklisted because there's a, a few only a few films that the Chinese um, government allows um, to be distributed anyway. Yeah. So I mean, e- even making a film to pander to the the Chinese censors is quite a gamble in itself. Yeah, it's just kind of asking for trouble, isn't it? Mm. 
But it's, it's yeah. a really, really fascinating subject. I didn't want to have too much, throw too many value judgments or whatnot. Like, um, oh, no, no, no. But no, it's it, it, it's a very interesting development. Yeah, I mean, considering because considering a lot of like big big uh, budget things, like example, Transformers. Transformers wears the military advice on its sleeve in pretty much any behind the scenes stuff uh, like the Michael Bay ones. They mm. were always talking about, oh yeah, the military is so cool. They've given us all the plat. They've shown us how they design these sort of. Um, these helicopters and stuff like that, so we can make it look real when the transformer moves into the heli, turns into a helicopter and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it could be a pretty big deal yeah. for some filmmakers. So again, it would only be a case if that film particularly altered itself to appease the Chinese Communist Party. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, it, it's really interesting. I, I think it will it will have a noticeable impact, and it, we might start seeing a. Um, Sort of Hollywood. I don't know. I don't know if Hollywood will start moving away from like because I mean, if if we're just being pragmatic, as much as I dislike it because of the politics, it, it's a business, <laughs> and that's a lot at, of revenue. At, at this moment in time, Hollywood needs all the money it it can get. Yeah, considering that a lot of productions are not making the money that they should be making. Um, obviously, they have films on the shelves waiting to go. And they're not getting. In. They've spent millions of dollars on this on films. It's like, it's like you look at things like Bond. You look at Fast and Furious Nine and stuff like that. They have they have spent hundreds of millions on these films, and they are on the shelf, just not bringing anything in. So it's like, what do we do? I know. And if, if, I mean, if you don't think this could end terribly for the industry, I'm uh, <laughs> from the various reports I've. I've I've seen over the last couple of weeks. Um, I am increasingly of the opinion that Disney might go bankrupt. Ooh, it's it's amazing the amount of money Disney are hemorrhaging. It looks like they're going to have their parks are going to be closed for at least a year. Mm. Which and which the par- is their parks are big huge... money earners. Oh, sorry, can you repeat that? The parks are big money earners for yeah. Me. It's actually their biggest income source of income, mm. and the Star Wars movies, the, the under Kath, Kathleen Kennedy, have mm. underperformed. Mm. Um, they, I, I think some of the estimated figures I've seen, they, they've lost around about five billion dollars on Star Wars. Yeah, no um, the merchandise sales for Star Wars figures are, are zero. Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, Hasbro have um, been basically been complaining that no one is buying any Star Wars action figures anymore. Mm. Um, people they're still interested in the original trilogy and people still buying but not Luke but not, but not and, prequel and sequel <laughs> yeah no no one's buying prequel toys and no one's buying sequel toys i think as well i think other formats of uh star wars haven't been performing well because of bad content look at ea and how they've handled several games like battlefront the battlefront the star wars battlefront games have been kind of mitigated disasters at launch mm. the only the only good ea game that has seemed to have come out a bit too late now is Jedi Fallen Order. I've heard good things about that game and I want to play it. Mm. But I'm but I'm not that desperate to go out and fork forty quid over at the moment for it. No. I also I was trying to say that the only fact the only thing that seems to be particularly popular is the Mandalorian, but I've never I haven't had the chance to watch it. But it seems to I I'm giving, I'm being oh doom and gloom with Disney. I have to admit that Disney Plus appears to be a success. But, oh, but yeah. I don't know if it's a long-term thing because having mm. you, you've given me access to the channel f- for reviews, I yeah. am not impressed by the level of content. I'm really yeah. not impressed. I think it's 
like I think we talked about this previously on an episode. I think it's for I think free because, solo because that's national. Yeah, Geographic. I think because I think because now, well, hopefully, if they're able to now, because Disney have acquired 20th Century Fox's catalogue of films now under 20th Century Movies, um, they'll they'll start putting more and more films in and. I think if they want to make that platform successful, they're going to have to bite the bullet and kind of have an adult section on there, obviously for things like, because it's, it's like, you know, it's like, no, no yes, yeah, um, but yeah, if, if they want to have, say, this is the place where you can see all the alien films, like the classic alien films and stuff like that, they, they have to do it. But it's but like, Disney, they can't, they can't, they can't. Disney's been producing adult content for m- like half, more than half a century. I mean, they they, they, they were haven't put it on Disney for a long yeah. time. I, yeah. I, don't, I, I didn't realize that Disney Plus was going to be PG. Like mm. I, I when I, I mean I know the internet laughed at that horrendous attempt to censor the um, the exposed bum. Oh, and splash, <laughs> yeah, splash. But I mean, I, I I saw that as quite. Although that was quite amusing in itself. This is terrible censorship and like really really. I mean, they are they are already pushing out twelve A fifteen rated content because Wolverine and uh, Wolverine Origins and the Wolverine are on Disney Plus, and they weren't necessarily PG friendly films when they came no, out. No, they're fifteens, I believe. Yeah, uncut, they're fifteen. So I'm not sure what versions are on and, there. And Logan, watched... I'm sure there's an eighteen rating. Lo- Logan, Logan is a fifteen, I believe. I think there was something that made it an eighteen on Blu-ray and DVD. I might be wrong. Uh, but either way, it's not. It's not typical yeah. Disney. No, no, not typical Disney at all. But anyway, um, it's like I think that's conversations for another time. We will have to keep an eye on the um, the Disney situation and obviously uh, the uh, the military advice thing. Okay, let's start off with some reviews and let's go all the way back to 1996 where Michael Jordan teamed up with Bugs Bunny to defeat aliens in a big game of basketball. It's Space Jam, here's a clip. When the world's greatest athlete, Michael Jordan, teams up with the world's best-loved cartoon character, Bugs Bunny, you won't believe your eyes. Pardon me, Mr. Jordan. Could I have your auto to the auto? Your John Hancock. What's going on here? We need your help. Ah, oh, Space Jam, Space Jam, Space Jam. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I I do have a soft spot for this one. I actually saw it at cinema when I was when I was a kid. Same. When tickets cost two pounds fifty. <laughs> two for kids, two pounds fifty bargain. And nowadays. the streets were paved in Freddo bars. <laughs> A free and a nice free screen Odeon cinema, cheap side in Reading, uh, where it actually felt like a proper theatrical experience. You had curtains, you had a little mini stage and stuff like that. Not like the here are the stadium seatings and a wall. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the curtains. I miss yeah, it's like when the curtains oh the big screen in Odeon cheap side, Odeon one upstairs, you'd go up like four flights of stairs because like you got a feeling it was like a big deal because you as you went up you had all these sort of cardboard cutouts for films coming up and some films you didn't know what to make of, especially when you're a kid, especially if it was like like a proper adult like thriller or something like that, you goes, That looks a bit serious, that looks a bit scary and all the way up to the um up to the screen. It's like it was like a three hundred, four hundred auditorium. Oh wow. But it was but it was still nice. I saw films like um Golden Eye there, uh, Phantom Menace. Uh, I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Us is there as well. <laughs> That's the best one. 
That's the best one, the one I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but yes, Space Jam. Space Jam. Yes, yeah, so Space Jam, basically, um, uh, a group of aliens from a far-out planet uh, decides they would like to have the Looney Tunes as their new uh, attraction and uh, kind of force the Looney Tunes into a game of basketball. However, when the aliens steal the powers of top NBA players, they turn to a now-retired Michael Jordan, who's playing baseball, not basketball, to help them. And thus... Combat ensures. I mean, it's a bit <laughs> so, of a stretch, isn't it? It's a bit of a stretch, but it, it it was it was of the time. It very much is of the time, but it's um, <laughs> it's obnoxiously nineties. Um, I it, I oh, all right. So watching this film, I loved it as a kid. I had the videotape. I must have worn the tape out to let it, it was just as translucent as my skin. Did you have some of the songs like the Monstars, Hit Him High, Hit Him High? Ooh, Hit Him Low, Hit Him Low. I think so, yeah. I think I had, I think I had that one on cassette. My, on my, cassette my, my videotape was also, it was quite cool because it was green, not black. Oh, yeah. that was cool. So that was like, I, I, yeah, just the memories that pop into my head. Um, yeah. This is a weird film. It feels like four <laughs> different movies. Like, there, there are four germs of ideas floating around the studio at the time. And then they just, they just one crazy executive decided to slap them together. Because <laughs> it, it's, it's very episodic. It's, it, the tonal shifts are crazy. But mm. I enjoyed every second of this. <laughs> For the benefit of people who can't see Ian right now, he almost spat water all over his, like, radio setup. But... It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I don't it's like know if I'd say it's a good film, but I enjoyed it a lot. It, it, it's it's cheesy. It's definitely dated, but I still like this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, should we should we talk about the pros before we go into the cons? Yeah. Um, pros. I mean, in terms of big animated live action hybrids, I think ever since Who Framed Roger Rabbit, there hadn't been any other sort of attempts at doing this. Um, this is produced by Ivan Reitman as well of Ghostbusters. Yes, which was a which was a bit of a surprise. I didn't realise when I watched the credits again the first time. It's like I was looking at all the credits. That credit sequence is long, five fucking minutes. <laughs> do you think he? Um, do you think he put more effort into this than Ghostbusters Three? That's why it never was happened. Oh. Possibly, possibly. But then there is that throwaway line from Bill Murray in the film who turns up in an in uncredited can we, can cameo. We, can we just, I to stop you there. This is, without doubt, the ninth or eighth greatest Bill Murray role <laughs> in the history of cinema. <laughs> he is so funny in this. I mean, I, 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 he's definitely, it's, it's strange. It's not, it's not phoned in, this performance. Yeah, it's, he, it's he's so definitely dry. there. He's definitely there to have some fun. Yeah, yeah, he, he's having fun and he's making money. And but just the idea of Bill Murray playing himself, who a version of himself who's obsessed with becoming a basketball player to the point where he's harassing Michael Jordan, and like, <laughs> and that 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 crazy tartan like head um, umbrella hat he wears throughout the golf sequence. Like anyone else wear that, you think what an idiot. And that's definitely the case with Bill Murray as well. But I still love it. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> oh, uh, yes. Bill Murray, but, so good. So, so yes. good. But I think... The th- it's just I'm, I'm a big Looney Tunes fan. Mm. I, was, I, I still am. I love watching the shorts. I love, 
I love characters like Daffy Duck and Wiley Coyote. I was, gonna, I was so, just going to say, sorry to interject, where you, where you raised that. <laughs> I know we're meant to be doing prose, but I'm, I'm going to talk with Con right now. I found the clips of classic Looney Tunes when they're briefly played, even on television sets throughout the movie, yeah. far more charming and endearing and entertaining than anything the Looney Tunes themselves do around the mm. rest of the film. I don't, okay. I don't feel... I, they didn't really feel like the same Looney Tunes to me. They they felt like cop, um, copies. No, no, I uh, I think no, that's a fair that's a fair observation. I mean, it was. I think when I was a child watching this, I just think just seeing the Looney Tunes mm. on a big screen in this sort of environment was like really really cool. No, I agree. Um, I mean, I, I still think kids watching this today will gain you get a lot out mm. of this. I mean, uh, partner up with Looney Tunes back in action. Which is which is uh, a cert- another film that they did about ten years later down the line with uh, Brendan Fraser and Daffy Duck going on a on a treasure hunt to find Timothy Dalton and, and take <laughs> on Steve Martin. That's going to be a future film already. Oh, you can bet your bottom dollar it's going to be there it's now. Te- it's technically a Doctor Who movie as well because the Daleks feature as villains. Oh yes, yeah. Oh yes. And they've got the, they've got the sink <laughs> plunger and the exterminator gun the wrong way around. That really bugged oh. me. Really bugged me when I watched it. <laughs> But no, I mean, I think when you look at it in terms of... Because, again, it's like it's combining a very popular sport at the time, basketball, with film. It was kind of like a no-brainer, to be perfectly honest, I think, for the time. And I think the nice thing as well, the basketball scenes themselves, or even the basketball elements to it, are not overdone to a point. There, there are other films out there that will take a, a good example, a really, really good example of this. Go back to the main event. Main mm. event is is a WWE produced film, so obviously it's about wrestling stuff like that. Every chance it gets, it rams wrestling right down your throat. Yeah. It- Whereas with Space Jam, it doesn't. You have little moments where you're seeing other basketball players uh, who have been affected by the aliens. I like I like the the fact is the basketball players themselves come across quite natural and they're just quite they they're not are so funny. The the, the yeah. scenes where they're having their breakdowns and their psychological yeah. evaluations. Because obviously they've had their powers stolen by these tiny, very nineties aliens. aliens. Um, mm. Particularly the Charles Barkley scene where where a group of uh, girls playing basketball recognise him and he comes on the court and they just destroy him. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, there's a great there's a, there's a moment where they have the seance. Just, and, yeah. <laughs> and the, your, play, uh, the your, your power, yeah, your powers have been stolen to help. Bugs Bunny. <laughs> it's just that quip from one of one of the basketball players goes, "Ah, oh, screw this. Let's get, let's try some acupuncture." <laughs> it's really, it's just, again, it's really. There are some brilliant, really funny, self-aware moments throughout this. I mean, and, and there's mm. a brilliant quip from Bugs Bunny where he describes he describes something as being this ain't your Mickey Mouse kind of operation or something, something to that extent. Just like, oh, oh yeah, it's like what kind? Oh yeah, yeah, it's when Bugs and Daffy are walking away at some yeah. point. But I mean, yeah. any great sports drama, not that I'm saying this is a great sports drama, but any <laughs> any great sports drama, it's not about the sport, it's about the person. It's mm. like one of my favourite movies is Rocky. And it's really interesting because people who've only watched the later Rocky movies, which are just boxing, 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 boxing. The first Rocky movie yeah. doesn't really feature that much boxing at all. It's mainly the no. struggles of Rocky Balboa. And, and, and it's more of a roma- romantic um driven film than sports mm-hmm. um and i love that film to bits um because i'm I'm more interested in the characters and there's an attempt yeah. to this with michael jordan with is the subplot of the retirement which is semi-autobiographical 
because um, it did happen. Um, and you know the family element. It was. It was. It was. It was actually. It was quite nice and wholesome. It was nice to see the sort of positive portrayal of the family. Yeah. Um, as it was, um, it, it, it seemed quite. It didn't. It wasn't cynical. Um, when it came to those elements, even though the film did have a cynical edge about it, because it, obviously it's yeah. a film designed <laughs> to make as much money as possible. I don't think Michael Jordan. He's not. I mean, he's not a great actor. Um, but no, you, but, you, you get, but you he get, try, he's, he's game. He tries. Yeah, there's an a, there's a decent attempt, and you get what you you get what you get, and you know he's yeah. there for the basketball, and the basketball sequence, of the last half an hour, is great. Yeah, the game itself is one is fun to watch. It's very fun. Um, I did notice. I paused it to put, um to make a hot drink, and I realised mm. the crowd um, is really badly animated. It's um if you rewatch it. Mm. The crowd of animated characters that all that all two dimensionally stretched because you can yeah. tell. That, I mean, it, it was probably quite advanced at the time, but it, it, it has aged that sequence quite a bit. It looks like yeah. the worst of um, you know, the WWE wrestling games where the crowds are like solo oh, res, like and two D. Yes, like and if it, you and look, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> take a look at where the camera shifts. You can see how like Parappa so the Rapper, like just one line. Just yeah, one line. It's, it's exactly the same for that. And it, I, I paused it a few times, and not, not only that, the the size of the characters are all completely off as well. So you have some mm. like like little chicken characters who are like half the size, like twice the size they're meant to be. I mean, I'm being yeah. really pedantic. When you actually watch it, you're probably focusing more on Lola Bunny slamming a dunk. Was that mm. <laughs> slamming a dunk? Is that the right expression? I've really, oh god, I am slam dunking. There you go, slam dunking. You were almost slam there. dunking. <laughs> wow, it's like I'm wrestling, snooker, and a bit of football. That's me. Basketball isn't not is not my world. <laughs> But it's interesting how you know, it, it does. It it does feel like the sort of those those nineties sort of African American basketball movies. That sort of that whole urban feel, especially mm. with the soundtrack. The soundtrack's great. Yeah, um, it's just really jarring that it it's blended with this neat, colourful, clean Looney Tunes world. Mm. And again, it doesn't really work. But it's it doesn't stop me. It's, it never stops being entertaining. And yeah. I, I think the standout performance, because um, is is not is not the Looney Tunes, although I'm always mm. a big fan of the, uh, the the Daffy Duck in the jockstrap with the uh, <laughs> floating device is uh, it's a good look. Mm. We have to talk about Wayne Knight. Oh yes, good old Wayne Knight, because <laughs> he he was he he was on the rise back then, wasn't yeah. he? He just came off Jurassic Park, and as a, a as treacherous little employee. <laughs> He's, he's, he's mastered the art, art of being really bloody annoying. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been doing a lot of voice work lately, um, especially with stuff like Disney TV cartoons. I think he was in the um, the recent Legend of the Three Calibero's uh, mm. uh, cartoon. Um, but no, it's like he's uh, again Wayne Knight is incredible. He's so nineties, isn't he? He's like he pop, popped up Jurassic Park, Seinfeld, stuff like that. He is the the he's the epitome of the nineties comedy actor that you would rely on to play a certain type of role. Yes, and and that's what. It's, it's interesting. The Looney Tunes themselves don't really date the film. It's everything around it. And yes. It's, it's so stuck in the 90s. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's as 90s as that Friends videotape teaching you how to get onto Windows 96. Or 95, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's, let's, let's look to the future a little bit because um, a few days ago before recording, uh, LeBron James, a uh, recent basketball player, there is a Space Jam 2 coming. Yeah. 
It is coming next year, hopefully, depending on how things are going. So how do you... Do you how this is going to be a bit of a weird a, a weirder return because obviously it's now it's now going to probably be more about basketball now and i don't really pay attention to basketball now and i think oh it's it, it's kind of like i'm i'm excited because it's more space jam it's like yay any excuse to just have a space jam it's good fun but it's kind of like i'm intrigued but also scared at the same time well i mean it's, it's interesting because the, 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 there's a my understanding is there's a conversation at the moment but similar to who was the greatest boxer was it Tyson or mm. was it Ali um, mm. at the moment the question is who's the greatest basketball player is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James like mm. Magic Johnson seems to be thrown in there as well um, I, I would be I, part of me suspects that they'll set up for a third one where it's both of them <laughs> the Space Jam generations <laughs> um, I, they, they announced the logo it looked really it was interesting how the logo was like you could tell it was, it was derivative of the original, which I, I, yeah. I really found it's really, really sad. But I, I really like the original logo. I thought the marketing campaign mm. was very good, especially yeah. having Bunny Jordan like blazed and emblazoned above it as well. It, it, um, it was so 90 cinematic. Oh, it is so 90 cinematic, that, that poster. Absolutely. And it's really, I mean, it's interesting how, you know, the wave of nostalgia that's cursed our generation over the last two, three years. The amount of Space Jam merchandise I've seen, our, you know, our, our friend Jason from Trivial Titans, he has a Space Jam mm. jersey, a Looney Tunes one, yeah. and it's the coolest yeah. thing. I would look like an idiot wearing it, but he pulls it off. And it really frustrates me that I don't have that charisma. But <laughs> to, to do that. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, I can... I can see. I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably going to have more influence in sort of the, by Black Panther than um, than say the original Space Jam. I'd say, yeah. In terms, of, that, that's my guess. It and it is actually it is uh, produced by Ryan Cooliger. Oh, who is the director of Black Panther? Yeah, so so possibility. So Creed, which like goes back, yeah. to, you know, to Rocky. So yeah, it's, it's, it's people involved. No, I, I, it, in an odd way, the original film is it is an oddity. Yes. I, I feel like from what I what I'm seeing right now, the the new one is probably I would be I would be surprised if it wasn't a better, more coherent piece. Yeah, I think you I think you're right. I think I think the newer film, or well, the next film, should be a bit more coherent. Yeah. Whereas. Where Space Jam, for all its flaws, is just a weird, wonderful ode to the nineties at that point in time. I mean, I'm I'm so glad this film exists, but I don't understand why it exists. (laughs) There you go, poster, poster on Space Jam. It's like it's like I'm I'm so glad I've watched this, but I don't know why this exists. Christian Art Alan (laughs) Ferrar. Ah, star rating. Free. Yep, I will go with you there. Three stars. Obviously, if I was, uh, what was it, 96? So I was just 11, 10 at the time. I would have said seven stars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did watch this film a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I saw it at the cinema like a couple of times. Yeah. Times. I think at the time it was either see Space Jam or Spy Hard. You should have chosen Spy Jam. Hard. In hindsight, but then, but the, but then I went to Source by Hard. Oh, there we go. That's fine. There we go. But everyone wins. <laughs> I saw both films. Yes, yeah, Space Jam, three stars, available on Netflix right now. Right, sticking with Netflix, we are going back even further, back to the year of 1986, and Labyrinth. Here's a clip. 
A world where anything seems possible and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars with no one. The world of Labyrinth. Right, Labyrinth was your choice, Christian. Yes, it was. I'm a big fan of Jim Henson, uh, who directed mm. this. It's, I believe this was the last feature he directed before he died in yes. 1990, 1991. Um, mm. And was a, the story was a collaboration between visual artist Brian Froud, or Froud, apologies if I've mispronounced that, and Monty Python's Terry Jones, who obviously sadly passed away a few weeks ago. Um, yes, this is a very, very quirky tale. Um, basically, mm. it's a, a coming-of-age story um, starring Jennifer Connolly, who plays teenage girl Sarah Williams, who wants to abandon her dull domestic life when she's had her baby brother thrown upon her to babysit. She's very resentful, and so she puts, inadvertently places a curse upon her baby, where he will be... Yes, always a bad As you do. idea. Oh, I, it's like... Where? How can this possibly go right? <laughs> she accidentally curses her baby to be kidnapped by Jareth the Goblin King, played by David Bowie. Now, David mm-hmm. Bowie gives uh, gives Sarah thirteen hours to rescue her baby brother, but in order to do so, she must traverse the deadly labyrinth. And thus, the name of the film has been submitted. <laughs> yes, the labyrinth is. <laughs> a labyrinth. A labyrinth. <laughs> um, it's yes. It's, so it's it's basically um, Barry and uh, and Connolly, the the two of the only um, only live action actors we see throughout the piece. Most of the characters mm. are um, either a combination of you know, classic Henson. Um, I was about to say muppetry, but puppetry is probably the more accurate word here. Um, and I really. I remember watching this as a teenager, I think 12, mm. 30, just catching it randomly on television. I found it mesmerizing, really, really mm. inventive storytelling. And um, mm. it does, it definitely does have the Monty Python sort of Terry Jones yeah. streak in it. He, he's definitely out of all the Pythons. He's probably the, the, the least, I don't know if least cynical is the right word, but his, his products always seem a bit more wholesome. wholesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a better word. Cause he, he, he after he also worked on, um, Wind of the Willows, which I think is quite an underrated film, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it's it's a charming story. It's it's very frustrating. <laughs> it, like, I mean, it's, as it, it's intentionally, it, it's designed to annoy the audience with the the terrible decisions that Sarah makes in like turning the wrong way in the labyrinth, or, like mm. on the odd occasion. The labyrinth itself is very. It's very. Uh, it's, it feels very much the labyrinth is its own conscious entity, and it is. Yeah. It's. Um, Taking the Michael somewhat, um, but obviously the, the the journey is 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 more than just a literal journey for her. It's also you know, allegorical. So this is a coming of age story. Where she's mm. she's dealing. She's on the cusp of adolescence, um, and it's also, it's interesting how the character she escapes from her dreary domestic life through fantasy. But that fantasy, that escapism itself, itself is is almost seen as a, a warning. Like um, mm. I've seen some commentators say that the, the film is about her learning to put her toys away, so she become more of a mature 
um, yeah, adult. <laughs> so like, so she can take a more mature attitude towards life. And there is a, is an interesting chemistry between her and the David Bowie character. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so the, the the theme of puberty does ring through throughout, and it can it can feel a little awkward because obviously the age difference between the two. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. don't think this is an accident. This feels like it was by design. Mm. Uh, I think with me, uh, I've seen bits and bobs. I've 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 definitely watched it one uh, years ago and. I think Labyrinth is not a film for me. Yeah, it's it's. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and start ragging on Labyrinth because I'm not. It's basically the fact is I think Labyrinth technically is great at times because the puppetry work is amazing, uh, art design is amazing, uh, even even some of the music's a bit catchy. It's just that I just I just didn't engage with the story. Mm. That's because it's just it's just plodding along slowly 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 it's like yeah you know sarah's gonna find her baby brother eventually what kind of family film doesn't <laughs> doesn't reward the hero with the baby at the end it's like so did you uh, feel, this is did when you it, this find is... there was any real peril throughout the film uh, no not really it's just kind of it's kind of learn is like you're having a life lesson learn your lesson i've learned my lesson okay here's the baby <laughs> end just just with david bowie going i've created a labyrinth for you sarah i know it's not david bowie voice but i'm going to give this a try it's a look at this labyrinth sarah i've created it just for you <laughs> i've even put in the water features and the ball pond <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i it's it's interesting we uh, watching this it did feel a lot flatter than i remembered mm. um I last time I watched it was actually around about five years ago. Uh, when when Bowie died, I watched it as like mm. a little um, tribute to him. Um, mm. I, I recalled enjoying it then, but you know, definitely in hindsight, it's it, I don't think it's um, the story element appears to be the weakest part of the film, and I mm. I concur with you. I I think the visual storytelling is enough to push you through, and yeah. um, I would be very surprised um, if if my oldest nieces were bored throughout this i think they'd be very engaged i think the, the designs are incredible i love the three mm. main characters who help sarah um you so see you've got hoggle who's sort of um yep. a dwarf-esque butler type um, you got ludo pardon you got ludo the big ludo yeah he's kind of like a, a yeah. he's like a chewbacca-esque character i guess or a better temperament i'd suggest and, yeah. and you've got sir didymus as well who's he's a brilliant character. i knew you'd smile <laughs> Because anyone unfamiliar, he's basically so he is a muppet who is a is a, is a, is a dog. It's kind of like a, a cross between. A uh, dog he's and a, fo- dog he's a fox. He, he's a he's kind of like a coyote coyote fox in a way. Yeah, yeah. With a with an, with an eye patch and a musketeer style hat and a and a rapier sword. And he rides a dog, a real dog. Yes, the Dulex dog. He rides the Dulex dog. dog yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, Dulex, if you want to sell paint. There's how you do it. Absolutely, <laughs> like, but um, so the, yeah, the, the, those elements are very charming, and um, mm. and um, I think Jennifer Connelly does she does an admirable job in the role. But yeah. if, if we're honest, this is the David Bowie movie, and he yeah. is he especially is when the he's star. got the music. Power voodoo, who do you do? Oh, see, that's the thing. The, the music is great. I love the music, um, especially mm. the the final song when um. um 
Sarah's chasing the Goblin King in the um, I can't remember the name of the artist. You know the famous perspective painting. Oh with all yeah, the, the stairs up, uh, the way the upside down, left, right stairs, up and down. All the... yes. Basically, if you saw an image, you know what we were talking about. Yes, but this is radio. But they've <laughs> they've recreated that as a set. Um, yeah, for, just for clever filmmaking. It's it's a very very um, very dreamlike and surreal sequence, and it really does. It does pack a punch at the end, um, I feel. Um, but David Bowie here, yeah, he's very charismatic, and he's he has it's, he has a cool menace about him throughout the film. Mm. And, and like I say, it does. In hindsight, it is a little awkward the sort of like tension between the sort of, sort of the strange tension between him and the Sarah character because it does feel like there is an element of romance there. Well, it's like well, it's like. The, like the fun art, the final confrontation stuff like that and he's kind of saying I can give you everything you want you just need to submit and surrender to me and then I'll do anything yeah, he, you I mean, want he, he I mean, it's like it's really her. weird it's a very weird conversation mm. and I'm sat there going what? <laughs> is this? it's like this is like some sort of weird submission of dominant does he represent her you know, sexual awakening but I I think to a degree yes because there's also the ballroom scene yes where she's finding herself more drawn to to Bowie mm. or chasing Bowie through oh, the, yeah, the Goblin King through yeah. the through the masquerade yeah um so yeah I think you are right in that sense there is that sort of uh, uh, hint of maybe sexual awakening yeah in that way which um, is nothing, nothing wrong with a, I mean as a no. plot point there's nothing wrong with that at all it's it's more the, yeah. more the fact that it's it's the fact that it's it's been almost directed from the Burry character, not the other way round. Yeah. Um, and, and, and ignoring the age difference between the two actors, the fact that this character is presumably thousands and thousands of years old. Um, mm. is, is quite similar to Twilight, as we were talking about just earlier in the episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, it, it, it's a popular trope. Yeah. It seems to be. Um, so yeah, there, I, I, I did find that awkward. Mm. Um, but he is very good his performance is excellent and it's a very very um, memorable performance Um, the only problem Mm. this is a bit of a side so I've I've watched this on telly had it on videotape DVD Blu-ray and now there's a 4K every time there's an update in the resolution there's just more of his codpiece (laughs) like like, like, um, I'm literally seeing more of his codpiece now I think I watched, I watched when I was watching it on on Netflix in HD. The effects, um, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like some of the visual effects, like the practical effects, fine. It's like it's like the the musical number with the the creatures that remove their heads. It's like it's like it the the chroma key on it is is not great. Because it's like parts of Jennifer Connelly's shoulders will disappear now and then, oh, no. and, um, and I'm kind of just going, uh, no, no. <laughs> I will tell you the, the opening gro- sequence with the CGI owl, although it's it's very dated in the fact that it's it's yeah. obvious when it was made for the time. But that was time. a pioneering piece of um of visual effects. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's still quite so interesting pro- as a piece anyway. Yeah. So back in the day, technology technologically, it probably mind blowing. But, I don't. Uh, I don't know. There was, even for then, there was there is some ropiness to it. But I think that's part of the charm. I, I like it. Yeah. I mean, so if, although it's not a cheap film, there is a, there is a, a, a cheap and cheerful quality to it. I mean, that's kind of 
that's with the sort of Jim Henson workshop anyway. I mean, I, I like, mm. I love the fact that we're watching real puppets. Mm. Um, it's very similar to, um, I, this is kind of seen as almost a sister film to The Dark Crystal, which was the previous feature that um, oh, Henson yeah. directed. Um, and The Dark Crystal was dark. Mm, I, I didn't really take to The Dark Crystal. I, I appreciated it. I thought it was um, visually very arresting and I, I, I thought it was like a spin-off like you do you remember the dream crystal cartoon no on itv no because it, it's it's complete it's it's a different thing but it's like it had crystal and at the time they were both out at the same time and i was kind of thinking is this like an even darker adult version of it <laughs> i don't know anyway yeah. sorry so, i no, interrupted no, no, a theme with, you see crystals as a theme sort of coming like coming back every now and then it's it, i mean there has been a recent um um dark crystal movie by netflix um, uh, series, yeah, yes, and um, and and Steven Universe plays on sort of like, I think, how would you describe it, gem punk as opposed to steampunk? It's like, yes, yeah. but um, it's yeah, we're going off point a little bit. Um, Lab- I I think Labyrinth is there are it's there are it's flawed. It's not the perfect movie, but I mm. I, I still think the film is more charming than it is. Um, engaging yeah yeah I'd, I'd say that it's 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 i i don't know if i'll ever actually sit down and watch this again unless i'm just introducing it to like my own kids or my nieces or whatnot yeah. in the future um yeah. i'm glad I'm, I'm glad it exists mm-hmm. uh, and i think david bowie is great in it and i love the music i love the imagery i just think the story mm, feels a bit off especially towards the end i'm not entirely sure what the mess the point of the film is if it's saying that she has to grow up you know no <laughs> don't don't ask the goblin king to take your baby brother oh that's, that, the that's the moral here that's the moral so basically if you're babysitting and you and you're upset with your brother don't call the goblin king and say david bowie hello <laughs> can you please come take my baby brother so you, you, i'll be right over first of all you really can't do a david bowie voice you talk like miss david bowie Hello, Bowie. I'm David Bowie. Uh, Bowie, Bowie. Hello, Bowie. Sarah. Sarah, I have built you a labyrinth. <laughs> Would you like... With the power of voodoo. I've just got... The, there's a brilliant Flight of the Concord song called Bowie. Have you heard it at all? One of the lines I saying. Hello, Bowie. Should we go in space and smoke AstroTurf, Bowie? It's, like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. That. I, rem- I, remem- I remember Venture Brothers, I think, for a period of its time. The uh, they have there's this like big criminal uh, world super villain criminal uh, criminal syndicate, and the head is a uh, a spiritual uh, version of David Bowie. Bowie Bowie. <laughs> uh, uh, David there, Bo- was, there was no there was no consensus on how to pronounce his surname because he didn't know himself. Like his his his, his real name's David um, Dave Jones. David Jones was how he was um how he was yeah. telling himself when he started in the sixties, and then um, the monkeys came about. <laughs> mm. um, so he had to change his name so he changed mm. his name to Tom Jones oh, yeah no. <laughs> the, like the week to, uh, you know, our Tom, Tom, Jones Tom Jones ter- debuted. Tom Jones turned up and went oh no time to sing Thunderball do, 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 do. that's exactly what happened so like David Bowie's <laughs> just a last, last ditch attempt at like <laughs> I'm going to call myself Tom Jones oh hold on there my friend oh brilliant there's a I'm large Tom Welsh <laughs> chap with lots of knickers thrown at him taking my I'm name Tom Jones and he strikes <laughs> like Thunderball Thunderball is a weird song I mean it, it works but I don't understand anything that's happening the, the, the pre-title 
the pre-title sequence where just people are just swimming towards the camera is just so annoying. <laughs> it's like it's like I like the fact you, I like the fact that you did that knowing that this is an audio podcast. For the benefit of our listeners, Ian has just been mime swimming for my entertainment over webcam. It's not the most shameful thing he's ever done for me over a webcam, but you know. I no, no, not at all. Anyway, star rating. I am going to be generous and give this four. Ooh, mm. generous. I'm going to be realistic and give it three. Give it three. Yeah. So, what's the average? Three and a half. Yeah, should we say three and a half? Because I think there's enough. Uh, I think there's enough good in this film to elevate yeah. it. Yeah, and it is. It, it's, it's it's definitely retained. It's definitely popular. It's retained a cult status, and I think there is a lot of great things going on it. But it it unfortunately the story is where it does feel flat, and and you know story is key. I think if I was more engaged with the story, I would move you with giving it four. But I think for me, it's I I enjoyed or I found more interest in the technical side or the technical presentation of the film rather than the actual story. Mm. That's and that and that that is unfortunately how how Labyrinth is for me. So, so um, three and a half. I, I'm happy with that. Yeah, three and a half sounds fair. Would I watch it again? Probably not. Mm-hmm. No, nope, to be fair. honest. Uh, are you are you, are you glad so, that you've watched it though? Well, I'm glad I've actually watched it and remember it this time. <laughs> Because it's like, I remember, I do remember watching it years ago at a house party. And it's like, huh? Eh? <laughs> what I, kind of house go- party plays Labyrinth? I think this was uh, a bacon pancake party. Okay. But uh, that's for another time. Anyway, let's talk about next episode and our film choices. Yes. What have you picked? Uh, so I've gone for Netflix's The Half of It. It's a brand new film. It came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. and uh, It's about a shy, introverted student who helps the school jock woo a girl who, secretly, they both want. Ooh. Ooh. That's interesting. Is this a, is Romantic this a tensions. Netflix production? This is a Netflix production directed by and written by Alice Wu. So yes, this is uh yeah this. I watched a trailer for this and I kind of thought, you know what, this would be something I wouldn't mind watching and talking about on a show. To be right, honest, it, yeah, so and it's, it's a major studio release coming, and it's a brand new release as well. Yeah. So yes, I have a feeling we're going back into the past again with you, Christian. Yes, I am going to um, Amazon Prime in the UK at least released The Mask uh, a couple of days Yay. ago, starring Jim Carrey. Um, I loved this film as a kid. Um, mm. Even though I don't think it's, it's in hindsight, I'm going to appreciate it's probably not a children's movie. <laughs> I don't think the comic book it was based on was for kids. Anyway. No, no, not all comics are for children. Some are graphic novels. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I am fascinated to see, I very much with you in Space Jam, whether or not this is going to, uh, if my nostalgia glasses are going to, um, are going to crack watching this. Okay. Well, considering we've enjoyed uh, Jim Carrey renaissance with Sonic the Hedgehog, it'll be interesting to see if Jim Carrey of the 90s is as good as Jim Carrey as the Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> it's the same. I have a feeling, I have a feeling the, form of, uh, the mask version might probably win out a bit. But, I'm, uh, I'm hoping so, because obviously Ace Ventura was very much the film that, that created the star. But in my, in my mind, it was the mask that showed how truly versatile as a, com- a comedic performer he could be. Yeah. And this mm. was, I do recall it was being a huge. It was also Cameron Diaz's debut as well. Yeah, Cameron Diaz's very first one. Yes. So, like, no, I'm really interested in see if this holds up. Um, mm. And if it does, I will probably purchase it on 4K if that ever happens. Mm. Right. So, there you have it. Next week, it's going to be the half of it. 
and the mask. So that's it for the episode. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed our little ramblings and news discussions and all that sort of stuff. As always, you can get in touch with us by email, by emailing contact at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Me and Christian are also part of Trivial Titans on Bunkers in the UK. It's a banter podcast where we talk about fictional trivial questions that we try to answer. And that's with our good friend, Jason Freeman. Again, that show is available on all good podcast platforms. So go download both seasons season one and season two right now season three is coming very very soon once this lockdown is all over <laughs> i and cannot to- wait physically embrace you two and, and <laughs> i insist that we spend a whole weekend recording 10 episodes just in case there's episodes, another outbreak. all holding hands all holding hands all holding hands <laughs> coughing in each other's faces with glee but how how will i be able to hit the record button and the jingle buttons this is going to be a difficult task indeed <laughs> But uh, yes, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, enjoy movies, and keep it cinematic. I've been Ian Bolton, and I've been joined by Christian Arnold. Namaste. Goodbye. Goodbye.